This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I am your host for this week. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Uh, Both Aaron and Nate are either still in Japan or in transit, so they've left me here to keep the lights on. But luckily, we have a good friend and past guest joining us this week to help me. It is Kara. Kara, how's it going? Hey, Mike. It's going well. Um, so I'm Kara. I'm here again. And uh, now that Aaron and Nate are here, just a two-person show, I can just absolutely ruin it. Just say whatever the hell I want, and nobody can stop me because I am not at all intimidated by you, which I absolutely am by Aaron and Nate. Oh, no. I, I'm i totally fine and I'm aware that out of the three of us, I'm kind of like the the pushover of the three. Yeah, yeah you're like very, you're you're very professional and easygoing. You, you really are my old pal Mike Spears, and I really appreciate that about you. I, I, I like to think that I am friendly. I'm, I've quickly all developed rapport and become friends. So I'm glad that you're joining me on this. I really appreciate now, it. Now, just to be clear, all three of you are sweethearts. It's just that, you know, just looking at Aaron, just his his energy and his haircut really gives off the kind of vibe of like a bantamweight UFC fighter kind of guy. <laughs> and then, you know, Nate, Nate is like totally unthreatening. But the thing is, like, I'm intimidated of him because he's a better poster than me. Like, I can't have that. Yeah. And I've known Nate off and on for several years i still question at times nate's true opinion of me like he keeps you on your toes i I question nate's true opinion about anything like nate (laughs) understands better than anything that like reality just doesn't exist anymore like an an objective reality is just not a real thing and we're just kind of amorphously shaping ourselves into our present moment and that applies you know wrestling is the one of the most like reality is fake mediums it's 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 one of the best ways to like get your brain into that kind of like psychedelic headspace that uh the entire political media and everything landscape that operates on now oh uh, absolutely like i remember saying this a couple months ago i forgot if it was in a dm or if it was actual post that like we are like in the hyper normalization of wrestling right oh, now for sure. oh yeah that, that that's like an old take but it's real yeah it, it's um, real if if you gotta you gotta put this in the show notes, but Nate's uh Nate's piece when uh Jinder Mahal won the WWE World Championship, like entitled something like The Orb of Gender for Paste magazine, um, about uh gender and globalization and Donald Trump posing with that big glowing orb. Um, one of the finest pieces of wrestling or political writing I've ever read. Yeah, no, it, it frustrates me how good of a writer he is about stuff like this, whereas I'll write five thousand words about Ben K being named after a Japanese folk tale. Like, and he pulls off that and I'm like, God damn it, I am so jealous of you. Dude, I love to talk about Gishimoto fucking Oh, uh, I was gonna bust out the name to sound really smart and then I forgot it. But I I know about Ben K. I know about he was the he was the big heavy guy who served the other served the other lord thirteen hundreds, et cetera, et cetera. I'm I'm better at the Sagoku period. Sorry. Yeah, hey, it's one of the things that as soon as I found that out, I kind of fixated on it, and I need to go back and read oh, through 
all the apocryphal stories. But part of part of wrestling fandom, especially in in these days where New Japan is kind of so central to everything, is realizing that being a huge piece of shit weeb is like actually cool and good. Yeah, and it, because it, like Japan's culture is just like so obviously better than America's. Like America and the West is a completely bankrupt culture, and we should latch on to like anything, any alternative that we possibly can. And I think that like just like even with the episode Dynamite last night, there was something to latch on to. Because, like, you had them billing Dr. Luther as Japanese Deathmatch oh, yeah, Legend. Oh, yeah, Deathmatch Yeah, yeah. You know, all those FMW tapes everyone was watching for Dr. Luther hit. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm really excited to get in some real FMW what, what's your, hours. Yeah, what, yeah what, what's your favorite, like, Dr. Luther memory? I, I mean, I kind of, like, just the fact that he exists and has been in a match with, like, 22 to 24-year-old Misaki Mochizuki, who was forced into wrestling because he was tricked by his karateka. Like, I just love that that happened. Like, See, FM, FM to be, I, I, I did not know the story. Okay, so this is later on. So when he was in WAR, Dr. Luther did a little bit of WAR before yeah, he was yeah. gone. But uh, all the people that were brought in by Koji Katao were legitimate mm -hmm. karatekas. They were mm -hmm. not pro wrestlers. And when Katao died, he, of course, was like the... Yokozuna, who got forced out of uh, out of sumo because of his really it was his Oyakata, but he was kind of seen as like a shithead. Mm -hmm. But then he started this uh, karate dojo that had a lot of these people come through. One of them was Misaki Mochizuki. And Misaki Mochizuki thought he was just learning martial arts until one day Kochi Katao said, Oh, yeah, you're wrestling tonight. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a world. I, I always love to think about Kochi Katao and just what just amazing, like, kind of career that he's had. Yeah, just his life stories. Yeah, stuff. life, exa exactly. Just being involved in, like, so many different incidents, you know, like, famously shooting all the time. Yeah, cetera, cetera. I, 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 that's the one thing I hope we are getting out of Dr. Luther here and in AEW. But before we get more into this thing, just get the plugs and everything out of the way. You could follow the podcast Twitter account at EverythingAEW. I did notice that there was, like, a two-hour string of just straight YouTube clips that we've programmed it to retweet but mostly it's just aew news things during dynamite and usually i think nate's even doing some of it from japan but i've been tweeting on it every wednesday night my personal twitter account is at fujiheya that's f-u-j-i-i-h-e-y-a kara is at at karanza am i pronouncing that right karanza or, yeah k-r-a-o-n-z-a -A. Yep. yeah so Follow us there. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You could either subscribe to the entire Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network or just to Everything Elite. And when you do so, please rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. We also have a Patreon. And the Patreon is just, if you're someone who enjoys the show and wants more content from us and our guests, come and support us on Patreon. We have three tiers so for everyone's means and their desire to get into the ee uh patreon fandom i guess for lack of better words this week on patreon we had the new episode of wrestling small business tyrants where Fantastic. oh thank you thank you i recorded that so long ago and I, when i was like listening back and editing it with murder brian of street fight i was like this is one of the more fun things that i've recorded was just about an hour and a half of us talking about how Mike Quackenbush of Jakara fame was, and still is to this day, a small business tyrant of the wrestling uh, variety. He did manage to sell the uh, Wrestle Factory name this week to a random 
former Chikara guy who is now opening a Russell factory in North Carolina. So keep on carnying on Quackenbush. Yeah. Oh, you can go to the Russell factory all day. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but no, just great, great audio. Uh, one of the one of the highlights of the Patreon overall. Uh, it's it's the kind of perfect dynamic that I hope to at least capture ten percent of today with Mike just uh, being an endless font of helpful information and Brian just uh, openly smoking weed on Mike and reacting to everything. <laughs> hey, you, you know, uh, Brian is the true internet sweetheart, and he graciously gives us his time whenever we do these shows and it's so I, much fun I, I think of brian um i think of brian heard that which which he very well may uh he would absolutely take that as a compliment the compliment that i meant it oh yeah absolutely i, I, I love my brain yeah yeah it is a blast to record with him we also had light uh yesterday morning which is kind of our wednesday morning pregame show for aew that's weekly and then next week I'm going to have a second episode of Breaking Strong Hearts talking about the first ever OWE show from a couple of years ago. And then also an episode of Light. I don't know when exactly Aaron and Nate are going to be back in the swing of things, but they might have some more content as well. But so far this month, there's been four bonus shows, two elites, all the run sheets, all the spreadsheets, and a whole lot more, including the Everything Elite AEW Awards, Kara. They're still going on. Did you get your votes in? Absolutely not. I don't remember to do these kind of things. I don't have a functioning long-term memory anymore. I burned it out with drugs. So I learned about the awards from listening to your episode and 30 minutes later forgot they were happening. So. Hey, luckily, I mean, there might no. be a moment sometime between now and the 14th where it just no, I'm flashes. On no, I'm voting on air. Okay. Oh, all right. No, I, uh, I, I can vote in pot at the same time. Let's go. All right, cool. Uh, but yeah, we're doing an awards, and it'll be open until the 14th. I think that's Tuesday at midnight Eastern Standard Time. And I think we're going to be doing some sort of content with that as well. So if you sign up to our Patreon before the 14th, you can vote on all of our categories, men's and women's match of the year, men's and women's wrestler of the year, tag team of the year, feud of the year. Uh, I'm trying to get other things we had, show of the year, Twitter of the year. And then like our weird intangible category, which is something that things that we liked that didn't really fit in. So just just like I like the idea of Wardlow. I just think that he's a very amusing thing and makes me happy. So I nominated Wardlow. But yeah, just just the the full concept of like not not even just like Wardlow, the rest of the character, but like posting the word Wardlow a lot. Just like hearing hearing those phonemes. Very, very good. It's just like there's a cadence to Wardlow. Wardlow. Yeah. Mm. It, it just it feels pleasant to say it's pleasant to hear it the letters look nice together like it's a great name so all right all right all right i'm i'm voting on aaron voting in reverse order uh, okay so i'm la- landed on intangible of the year um well i mean we plugged wardlow but i think on overall work i gotta go with the sincere vote of aubrey edwards and of course hometown uh seattle based absolutely referee, um on unabashed homer so yeah I, I mean, like, uh, I mean, you've probably saw her a bunch at Defy. Absolutely, seen seen her at Defy. Uh, going to see her again very soon at at Defy. There's an AEW relevant show, thirty uh, first, uh, that is featuring uh, Strong Hearts, T Hakushima, and Linda Min. Of course, my favorite one, who I blank on the name of, and uh, as well as uh, the Jurassic Express of Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt will be at that show. So. <sighs> I love that Strong Hearts are just basically deciding in January and February just to show up in America, yeah. just doing their things. Going to Seattle, I don't think Shima 
has he wrestled in Seattle in his career? I know certainly Linda and T haven't, but Shima, I think this might be his first time in his mm-hmm. career. So yeah, no, that, that sounds really sick. Yeah, just you know, Washington Hall, just a little building, you know, downtown. It's a uh, you know great space. I've seen Defy there before. Defy has great presentations. If y'all have never seen a Defy show, uh, their vods they kind of they kind of do them up like the uh, Riptide promotion out of the UK, where they got this uh, kind of different camera presentations, smoke machines going all up over the place, et cetera, et cetera. Fun vibe. Defy's one of Defy's one of the great indies. Yeah, I respect anyone who takes like such care about their production and aesthetic levels and of the five seen i i'm a sucker for the heavy fog machine and a strong spotlight in wrestling and i think both both them and riptide do such a great job of that so yeah no i it's crazy they're going to be up there so so, uh so what other what are your other votes that you're thinking about you can make your ballot public if you wish oh oh, are we just going down the whole ballot or yeah let's do it okay all right breakout start of the year i think while I love all these choices, I think the clear answer is Darby Allen. Um, just far and away, like while all, all you know, Darby, Chris, Riho, and Jurassic Express all have like great wrestling performance. Darby, just normal people like love Darby Allen. Now, Darby is like a low-level television star at this point. He's not like a great pro wrestler on the rise. He's like a guy like people dressing up as Darby for Halloween. It's like so. And, like, it obviously just fits the narrative arc of this entire podcast, which has basically been, like, the Darby Allen, the Darby Allen cast. I mean, fucking Darby and Zack Sabre alone just tricked everyone into thinking Evolve was good for, like, three straight years. I mean, that's how, that's how good the kid is. So, <laughs> it's yeah. insane. His progression as a wrestler is something that, as a real prospect pervert like I am, oh, yeah. just, like, seeing him develop and becoming this, as you, you made a great point, like, this huge star is... It's heartwarming. You love to see when people succeed. You just love it. Yeah, like Darby is like as famous as like the fifth most famous person on like a the CW drama, which that's fucking insane for like a wrestler to be, for like Darby Allen, like literal homeless person to be. Yeah, and I think it's also cool the fact that you know he's a local guy in your area. He was a Buddy Wayne trainee, and he's mm-hmm. just. You just like watch him and you can't take your eyes off him. And like, just like he's so singular. And I think he's just so special. Like I totally get where you're coming for, for break. He's an actor. He's the next, he's the next wave of pro wrestling. Uh, You know, might vote him for AW star of the year. It's probably a stretch and I'm forget if he's on the ballot or not, but Hey, I think Bentley put him on the ballot there because right. well, that, that that was good of Bentley because he's he's a little bit. <laughs> I, right. I I think Bentley is going to legitimately one day get a restraining order out taken by both him and maybe Momo. I'm very impressed that he <laughs> didn't and that he uh, he didn't have another moment with Stardom while he was over there. I'm very um, impressed with them. Oh, you, his and can I not spoil the moment? I've I've heard of a very good Stardom moment that Aaron had overseas. Well, I think we could tell it from our perspective. Being... Let's, let's, I could let him tell it. But okay, just, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. I, I, I think he's he's allowed to tell his own story, but even from a thousand miles away, it's one of the most compelling pro wrestling stories I've ever heard. <laughs> just the sheer play-by-play. It's going to be a treat, oh, yeah. guys. Oh, well, yeah. Well, when Aaron reveals this, it will be worth it. Kara and I, we're not just building up something for a real flat story. This is actually something with stakes. And in the moment, I was legitimately scared for him. Yeah, so. it's, like, oh, oh, it's like, oh, no, Aaron, you're going like, to get in trouble and like, <laughs> embarrass yourself badly in a public place. You know, real like I don't think 
I don't think it was anything that he could have gotten in like actual legal trouble, but like the actual specifics of it are just so finely tuned to set off every anxiety alarm that I have in my body. Oh, like it, uh, it was just an absolute like social disaster situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's one of the most like empathetic moments because I've been in that exact same moment and have made the toll ass myself. So I understand. Anyway, uh, moving on. Best of Twitter, Chuck Taylor. No question. Not even not even discussing this. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, best on interviews is the one where it's actually tough. <laughs> Brandy on this. All right. I thought I thought I was the one who was high on Brandy among this. Had, was this like was that like an irony vote? I know the four Stotsy Roth card. I. I think that I put Brandy up. I want to say she did do a couple like like she did like one or two where she was like very clearly imitating that like Cody style of like serious sit down in the road. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, those are those were good. Yeah, those are good. I don't think she's the fourth best promo person in the company for that. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, we already done the awards segment. I I don't want to linger on these too long. Uh, best run interviews. Cody ha- Cody has all the lines that I remember. He you know carney succubus stupid dick you know that mm-hmm. so i mean uh, jericho had a little bit of the bubbly but he's, he goes too hard for catchphrases like those are cody's catchphrases are fun because like they're just like human being things to say like cody talks like a charismatic human being and not like a pro wrestling charisma machine which both are great but uh feud of the year Ooh, i'm good at feuds uh cody and jericho just for that one promo that's it yeah that that was such a wild promo to see live by the way uh, that's that is right you were live Golly gosh, I have not I have not gotten the chance to see a live AEW show yet, which is uh, one consequence of them kind of running east of the uh, east of the Rockies this kind of whole time outside of Vegas. So yeah, yeah, and, and we'll we'll talk about that. They got some expansion coming up. I'm very mm-hmm. hopeful, but yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a it'll be interesting when they start running closer to home. I mean, I think that like there's definitely like an outcry there because I do feel like they might be overrunning the East Coast a little bit. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe oh, maybe partially over in the East Coast, and I just think I just think they're really leaving money on the table right now, just with yeah. with missing like their hottest period to like go into the West Coast, go into the West Coast, go into so many areas, and like I, I I'm probably completely underestimating the logistical difficulties of doing this, as we all are. And again, I it's 2020, I don't know how anything in the world works, and I work for a fucking logistics company. Spoiler, but yeah. <laughs> uh yeah show of the year double or nothing that's like so chalk it's like so it's just not even fun to talk about like so, that's mm-hmm. some, of, some of these picks like you you did the best you can trying to get content out of them but they're just like there there's a correct answer right um tag of the year um this this is a tricky one i, th- I think like no one tag team has really gotten all the way over i think i probably just got to go with probably the bucks just having the best in ring it's kind of my tiebreaker for it, but uh, yeah, proud. Okay, proud and powerful. You got a you got a argument for them as kind of the they ha- they had the biggest rise over the year. They kind of came from like local indie indie guys to being like real charisma magnets. Uh, people I love Ortiz. Everyone loves Ortiz. Probably one of the most charismatic people on the roster. And Lucia Rose are fucking great. So NSCU are the champions and are credible. So yeah, well, like they're the they're the pick. I feel like now that not to influence votes, but it looks like uh, that a lot of votes are in. You know, you kind of have to acknowledge him. I am seeing, I am seeing the votes. Yeah, I, I think SCU was, you know, like you're. I don't, I don't know how much of an NBA head you are, Mike, but uh, a it, lot it, of my heart towards it went out the window when Dirk retired. But I still follow it. Fair, fair. That that's valid. Um, but it and it kind of happens in the discussion for in any sport. Like 
there are guys when you're putting in your MVP ballot, you say, "Oh, this guy really deserves a lot of third place votes. They they mm-hmm. really they really need to like get some get some award points this year." But it, are they actually the MVP? No, of course not. No, these, this other this other person, this other team is obviously better. But they deserve some credit. SU I think has been a success as the first tag team champions, mm-hmm. and I can't say that in a very enthusiastic voice, but I can say it truly. So whatever. Sure. Yeah. No. They they, they they've existed. And I think that's if you're not going to just have like a like just a world beater feud, yeah, they're fine. They're fine. Scorpio Sky got really over. Yeah, yeah. Um, Women's Wrestle Year, Rehab. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that you know everyone has really stood out. Uh, You know, Nyla offers something you know really different than you know what we're seeing pretty much anywhere. It's like that kind of monster. Monster Woman, you know, really only comes along once. It, it's it's so rare to like see a, a to see it done, you know, decently at the level that Nyla's doing it, where she really can work and put in a good match and really has everything together and it's going to grow. And uh, I can I can absolutely see why people would pick uh, Hikaru Shida over Riho. Just say like, just in terms of like prefer her work or prefer her character stuff. I think you know my girlfriend probably prefers Hikaru over Riho, and she's valid, I guess. So yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. No, like they, they, they both portray different things, and you know, like I talk with like people who aren't necessarily like in bubble hardcore people who've watched this, and I do feel like that you will see like newer fans or casual fans like Hikaru Shida more than Riho. Yeah, like yeah, I, 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 I definitely I, I, heard that before. I think Hikaru like absolutely like pops off the page. She's got a lot of you know, she's got that whole uh, got a great entrance vid and outfit and just you know i'm like the second biggest gear pervert in the world behind nate so fantastic <laughs> gear on karashita um and does and works in a way that i think there is like there's a lot of like real head subtlety in like what riho is doing like the, seeing all the really appreciating like all the smoothness of like riho's technical stuff mm-hmm. is is like i i feel like that's the kind of stuff that really pops out to like someone as jaded from watching a billion years of wrestling that I do. Whereas like, I I've seen a lot of characters that are as colorful as Hikaru Shida before and great. Uh, but that doesn't mean that she's like not also doing a great job of it. And she should be acknowledged as like one of the best women's wrestlers in the world. Like for sure. Oh, absolutely. And Britt Baker is also on the ballot. <laughs> uh, I think you could make a decent case of Britt Baker as the, best women's wrestler for like the first like half of AEW's existence before they had a television show, which is like not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the, like those preseason shows, like they definitely yeah. presented her and there were matches. Like of course she got concussion on one of them, but like she did acquit herself fine. Yeah. So like, no, yeah, she, she's absolutely. always been a very good pro wrestler. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's always been a good pro wrestler and occasionally a very good pro wrestler. And Yeah. <laughs> So, and, and like, like I said, I, I think a little bit of the backlash towards her, um, you know, backlash is fun. Fan backlash is, is way fun. And it's fun to see someone get pushed really hard when you think it's above their position kind of, and kind of say that they're crap when they're not, they're not crap. I mean, there's so, there's so few bad wrestlers in the world these days. Like, oh my God, like kids these days do not understand what bad wrestlers look like. Like, oh my God. Yeah, like we're in peak content and peak wrestling. Yeah. So like I remember growing up in Dallas Fort Worth and we would get this indie. Somehow they bought time on our UPN station. And 
there were like some uniquely bad wrestlers on it. And then you would have like someone like Paul London who, and like this is 2002, 2004. Oh and it's like, and it's like mind blowing. And then you like think back about the really bad wrestlers. And then like now I think Joe has said like, when he's done like the Jovember to remember thing about like how bad some of these wrestlers oh are. Oh my God. I don't have that anymore. Oh, and it's like, really... Just go watch like Sunday night heat from like 2000. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. Like go watch like a fucking Chaz. Rick Baker is a better worker than Chaz. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. It, as, yeah. And I feel like I've been the most critical person about Britt Baker on yeah. the podcast. And like, just the, I, I, and I, I think that's kind of like true in like almost every sport. Like people do not understand like how much the, the baseline has risen, like how much better like your end of the bench NBA player is than mm-hmm. like all but your handful of like superstars from the 90s even. Yeah, Kent Bazemore is a better basketball player than 95% of the NBA were up until, like, the year 2007. Yeah, yeah, Kent, Kent Bazemore would be, like, the third best player on, like, the Bulls, on, like, the championship Bulls. Like, I, I'm not, like, as insane to say that he's better than Jordan or Pippen, but he's probably, he's probably, Kent Bazemore's better than Tony Kukoc. Oh, absolutely. That was, Car. that was the exact person I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, you, you you strike me. You already added yourself as a big European head. You talk about Jordan, oh, yeah. so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Aaron's gonna be so mad. We're having basketball town without him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're having some real like uh, Euro basket hours over mm-hmm. here, and we're absolutely not going to talk about college basketball because it's fake and terrible. I mean, I, I there's only one college basketball team that I've ever followed, and that was ten years ago, mm-hmm. basically. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Shane Larkin's in Europe now. He's having a good time. Yeah, I was. thinking can't think of a second guy that after Shane Larkins. So there you go. <laughs> uh, men's wrestler, I think the men's wrestler the in every in of the world is Chris Jericho. Um, the, I had to make a little ooh sound because I did remember that his best matches this year were actually outside of this promotion. Um, but um, yeah, I didn't think about that until just now. But absolutely, yeah. Oh right. my god! I uh, Spoiler for my, like, if I get a Voices Wrestling ballot, which I guess I politic myself onto this podcast, I probably can. But I, I think Tetsuya United versus Chris Jericho from last year, like, might be my match of the year. Close to it. I think very, very underrated match. Jericho was always good. Everyone, I'm so glad that everyone has chosen to embrace the Judas in their minds and uh, really go for it. So, yeah. Jericho, Wrestler of the Year. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I, I think all, all these choices are, are absolutely valid. Uh, Cody. Cody, Jericho, Darby, and Moxley. I mean, at that point, those are those are four fucking superstars that they're when, once you get to the point where you're like that level of like a superstar, it's it's like pointless to like say which one is really better. It's it's so like up to personal taste. Right. Yeah. Um, like these are absolutely the S tier of the yeah. at this point. Like I like if if you are a wrestling fan and look at one of uh, look at like Cody, Chris Jericho, Darby Allen, and John Moxley's gear this year and say that like you have to say that was great. Mm-hmm. Like, and like distinguishing between different flavors of great is like you know, it's the least possible thing in the world to do. Yeah, the granularity is what gets me. And that's why I always dread when I get my ballot. Like, I've got like my top five of the year figured out because I had to use it for other things. But mm-hmm. six through 10 is just an unpleasant thing where I'm like, I like all these matches equally, I oh guess. But now God, I have to yeah. tick for, okay, where do I want to get this obscure? UT versus Super Shisa match, and how can I get this thing higher up on the final ballot? Like, I hate doing that kind of stuff, but like, we both have UT in our top tens. Yeah, yeah, UT is absolutely in my top ten. As, yeah. and I'm certain there's listeners like, who's UT? Uh, go look, go, go check out UT. He would have been a really cool guy this year in All Elite Wrestler. He he's like a five foot two Lucha Libre submission guy in Dragon Gate. He ruled. He had like my favorite, two of my favorite matches of the year. But yeah. 
but yeah, no, the granularity is what drives me insane. Okay, like, I'm, I'm just gonna, like, out and say, like, I don't care about, like, anything that happens. We can get so far into the weeds talking about UT, because, like, this is the least essential episode of all Elite Wrestling <laughs> and, and eight, everything Elite ever. Uh, two of our hosts are out, two, specifically because they wanted to go see another wrestling promotion so bad they flew to another country to get away from all Elite Wrestling. Like, so, like, we're only here because we're too, we're too fucking poor to go get ourselves done. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I. If I'm going to Japan, I'm not going to go to Wrestle Kingdom. So like, yeah, like I, like I watched, I, I watched Dynamite this week, but I've right. got to be honest, I was, I'm in a fucking wrestling feud, man. I, fuck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you know? no. Like we will get into running down Dynamite. We are just there's just this is an interesting week, and I wanted to hear Kara's takes on the awards. So we were going to get into that in a, in a couple minutes. So well. I know everyone's expecting us to get angry at stuff, and there's stuff to get legitimately angry. Oh about. yeah, no, but you know what? It's it's nice to kind of promote peace in the world. You know, love and energy, 2020. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, we'll we'll have time to to thoughtfully critique. Yeah, that because every piece of terrible bullshit that they've done that they put in our eyeballs. This week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two hours of it, especially the first sixty. Uh, women's match of the year. I actually um, had, had some bones to pick at the time when I when I heard about this one because my my choice for this didn't actually make the ballot. I was a really big fan of a Riho versus Emi Sakura from Full Gear. Um, I was high on that too, but like a lot of people weren't, and I'm not sure I see it. But like whatever. Like I I saw I thought you know I I get that like Sakura can get like really sticky mm-hmm. and. So if, if people, like, don't really appreciate that, then, like, I, yeah, and I understand, like, you know, you know, Gato Move has been one of the most divisive, you know, stylistic topics of all year, so I, I get it. Yeah, but, I forget which one I nominated, so I will take my own, unless I was the person who nominated, like, the, the uh, Joshi's 6-1 tag at Double or Nothing, unless that was me, I goofed up. It so. does not say here who, who nominated what, but, uh, the Joshi Six Woman tag probably having watched it back recently, actually, it probably it probably is your right answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, just quite a bit of fun. Really got everyone got everyone going. But I think the the woman the women's division. I think these are all you know roughly in that kind of none of these none of these really in in that transcendent range. That like you know you're over. I hate to talk about stars, but like you're over four and a half star range where it's like oh you gotta go see this match or you're missing out on like the story of pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. But like, also like, I think these are all like really good. And I was like, oh, if you're an AW fan, if you're a wrestling fan, yeah, these are good. So like, I I, I think there's again not a lot of separation here. But that that women's match just for where it was placed on the show got everyone hyped up about like the possibility of the the Joshi being a thing. Got like at least like two or three people over that the crowd had like never seen before. Like Riho and especially Yuka Sakazaki were just like over like gangbusters in that match. Like, yeah. yeah, I I was watching uh, the Tokyo Joshi Pro Show, and I was like, "How much I miss Yuka Sakazaki! Oh how, my god, how great she would be in this division right now!" Like, oh what, my god, she should be the champion. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine, yeah. just like Yuka Sakazaki having to deal with the Nightmare Collective, just really just amuses me. Oh no, she'd be. Uh, it's so sad to think about it. She'd be bullied. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, that, that's kind of what they're doing with Riho too. It's just and we'll we'll kind of get into that. I have a, yeah. I have a big stylistic point about i could yell about rio for hours but (laughs) yell about any of these topics for hours um men's match of the year i think it's probably going to go down as uh cody and dustin um Mm -hmm. i I think that's kind of your again that's kind of your chalk choice i think all of these were 
great pro wrestling matches. Um, you know, Young Bucks private party, great, great tag team match. Christian, I, I don't know if like any of these four matches were like the best like kind of match of the year, like in their style. You know what I mean? Is like, yeah. like, like, like there there were better like straight you know baby face versus heel matches than like Jericho versus Cody this year. There were better like young guy versus you know big heel matches than Jericho versus Darby. And there were better like cool tag team sprints than Young Bucks Private Party. Cody and Dustin, was there a better blood feud this year? Maybe, but uh, people weren't watching AAA, which was probably most of our audience and they haven't seen it, so. Yeah. And I don't know, at least for like me, like that match was like the moment after years of like being surrounded by Cody. Being surrounded by Cody, but then like seeing him like, okay, he actually is now this person to this audience that, that he's always been portrayed as, especially after he left WWE. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, like, un- unquestionably, like, the guy and, like, has the stuff to be the guy now. And, like, yeah, so in, I think giving it in, like, the when you factor in the context of, like, what Double or Nothing is, like, seeing that story in that moment, which I, I try to, like, when I talk about Match of the Year, I try to, like, that's really the one time where I really do want to take a match in a vacuum as much as I can. But uh, the, I think the tiebreaker, you know, of taking in that whole moment around it, which really informed that crowd energy and how they worked to it. Yeah, that's match of the year. That's the AEW men's match of the year. Okay, I think those are all the categories. Those but... were all the categories. Wow, God, how much time have we burned? How... <laughs> well, well, we have already gone half an hour, and that's fine because because yeah, Nate and AB are not here, so we could do what we want. And I, yeah, I got nothing better now. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed hearing that. And if any of the listeners are just in doing this, go on to go over to patreon.com, everything elite, and sign up. It is open to all tiers. So. Every single every single one of you can uh, just open up that list and you know just kind of call one of your friends on your internet mic and you know get your get your vape pen out and just start debating. You can have the exact same experience that I just had right now. You know, really leave the podcast kind of moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So those are all the things with patreon this week and i think now cara we get to play a game that i don't think you got a chance to play the last I time not, the show. oh I, I know for a fact that i have not gotten a chance to play this game so i'm very excited to play this game cara it is time to play the game that's taking over the internet it is much more popular than Teppen. it is i don't know what the current top game is on twitch but i have a feeling that, that this if we ever made a, a streamable comparison of this this would be the biggest game in the entire world it's time cara to play elite or delete <laughs> another top game on twitch Iron Mike Spears. Uh, all my esports are out of season right now league doesn't start for three weeks so i don't know who's, who's streaming oh, right you, now you were you were you were gonna friend you forgot a very specific thing which is that it is a agdq weekend the biggest oh. run community in the world so the top game on twitch.tv right now is of course final fantasy 6 <laughs> is it snes version or is it a uh, or are they having them do like the playstation cut or like the tablet version for this you know i don't know the version and i have not watched any agdq this year i kind of fell fell off of it this uh this past year or two i guess i'm maybe i'm like no longer officially a gamer which is fine Hey, it's okay, but I'm at peace with that. You, you you know, the older I get, I I kind of feel like that way. Like I tried to boot up a league a couple weeks ago, and I tried to play, and I was like, "This is trash. I can't do this anymore." Oh so, yeah, no, no, my brain doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I it's completely fried. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I like I can like 
sometimes get it together for like long enough to like form a smart sentence or something but like actually doing like fast twitch things in the moment like no now now i finally understand why it's like impossible to be an esports player like when you're past like 25 i get it yeah yeah no it, it's one of those things like yeah other than like the, cra the crazy routines like you're done like as soon as you hit like 23 24 and you're like this is all i've done for the last seven years and you're completely losing your synapses you're done yeah like, no just no my my brain and fast twitch fibers don't work in the same way anymore absolutely so we have an interesting episode to talk about. This week's episode was from uh, South Haven, Mississippi, Mississippi area, uh, Memphis area, apparently. And if you were on Twitter or watching along, you know that this was a very, very uh, divisive episode. It you maybe would call it the worst episode of Dynamite so far. But what out of this episode, Kara, was your favorite thing? What was the one thing that you would say was elite from? dynamite last evening what was elite from dynamite last evening i think that um gotta gotta go on board just because i'm finding it really on the spot here but uh yeah no i think arn anderson's performance as the official coach of the uh, nightmare family uh really really stood out as like kind of something new i think there was a lot of just like good um Good uh, kind of agenting and smartness in that in that opening tag team match between um between Private Party and uh, Paige and Omega. They don't have an official team name, so not really working. But um, yeah, so just a lot of smart spots between the Art Anderson stuff, between that kind of uh, that kind of spot where they went for kind of miscommunication spot, but then Kenny was able to anticipate it. Just really interesting, interesting stuff that I haven't seen in a pro wrestling match before, you know? So it, it shows that their kind of like creative agenting muscle is still like kind of working and all, all elite wrestling is a good wrestling promotion to watch. Yeah, like with that opening tag match, I thought it was really interesting how they were like, okay, these guys aren't on the same page, but they're not gonna blow up at each other. Like, yeah, that, like that was so smart to do. Yeah, I feel like they kind of primed your brain for like this, like ev almost everyone watching AEW has had their minds rotten by like 20 years of like WWE to like think they know exactly beat for beat every single, every single beat of the storyline where these two partners are having frustration with one another and turning on one another. And like they went out of their way to like kind of acknowledge and subvert that just, just enough. Like saying, yeah, it's like we get why that story is like a good, basic kind of story to tell but we don't have wwe brain rot so we can do it throw in a couple like little interesting twists along the way and like kind of kind of keep you engaged yeah and it's interesting with like private party in general like they've been clearly cycled down now from yeah. like the highs of highs like the match that was on the, the uh, on our ballot between the young bucks which was like their first match on national tv and they said an all-out sprint mm -hmm. against a team like hangman page and kenny omega which they have now won three tag matches in a row, mm -hmm. and they're not a like consistent team. There's no team name for them, but they're such so much considered better wrestlers in this company that it makes sense that this is a tag team that's thrown together. They're on a streak. They don't necessarily like each other, but they're successful. And they're t and they're able to beat a team that is younger, but like and has shown flashes of brilliance, but hasn't gotten it together. And I think that that's a real interesting kind of idea to have, especially. And a promotion like this, whereas, like you said, WWE brain rot has made everyone thinking that, okay, Paige and Omega should have blown off like two weeks ago. It's nice seeing how this is going and how they're teasing the misfires, but then they get it together at the end of the match doing a combo V-trigger buckshot lariat. It's cool. 
and yeah, I, I really like the observation that you had, like the fact that, yeah, sometimes when a tag team is like a mid-card tag team and like two wrestlers are like main event wrestlers, it's it's okay to like tell the kind of story that they told where you like you have some sort of miscommunications between the tag team, but also some communications. Like they worked out some tag team moves. They they did some double teams and they were like really telling the story of like, okay, they're these two guys are trying their best. They're not going to turn into clowns and shitty at wrestling just because they're feuding with each other. Like yeah. it's it's just like that little bit of nuance, like even like just in in the booking and layout of that match is like really the the hallmark of like good good all elite wrestling of like how it is and a legitimate alternative to WWE, even when they're telling a very similar story, just like they in in the small moments to like keep it fresh. Absolutely. Uh kind of following up like my favorite thing on this show you mentioned Arn a little bit i love him as this competent head coach character yeah well, yeah like when's the last time you've like just seen like a baby face manager like yeah again just like spots that nobody else is doing like a kind of really like an mma corner man almost just like you know, the kind of guy who fights like, oh, watch the knee, watch the counter, take that away. You know, that kind of thing. That's like really ubiquitous and obvious to like anyone who's like been in a fight or like watched an MMA, anything. But just like we we have pro wrestling brain, which is a mostly WWE brain that says to us like managers do this one thing and exist within this one plane. Where it's like, no, you can just like do like normal person stuff as it and have it be simple and compelling and tell stories that way. Yeah, and you can tell the story is even by something that I know people are frustrated with, but I actually really liked and I'll defend it. And the fact that like Arn Anderson, after the match with the Rhodes brothers versus Lucha brothers, uh, Cody was about to make his decision on the MJF stipulations and Arn was like, hey, hey, we didn't talk about this. This is yeah. in our best interest. Like that's such a smart babyface manager thing to do. And when's the last time we've had a good babyface manager? And you know... Yeah, it's such a smart thing to do, even though it like kind of, kind of took away from the heat of the segment. I think, you know, it's like the big pop, whatever, what the audience obviously wants right there is like, obviously, yeah, they want these two guys to like beat each other up right the second. But, mm -hmm. you know, Arn giving you this like baby face, smart, but like believable story is like, no, my role as a manager is to say like, hey, no, don't do this like stupid, like legally binding thing while you're like heated up from this match like chill chill out let's talk it over for a second yeah that's perfect yeah and yeah. i think it's the same thing going into the segment right afterwards where it was noticeable that cody never came out and yeah they didn't like, really talk about it. it's like yeah no arn probably was like no don't go out there yeah it's just like refreshing to have like a character in a, in a wrestling show it's just like a sane person yeah 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 like the one like the one person's like i've been through this shit i know what yeah, happens oh, yeah. here exactly yeah don't do this so yeah i loved Arn anderson and it's something that like it, it took me a little bit to re rewire my brain to like oh we've we've been so used to heel managers and like i can't even think like the last competent babyface manager unless you want to call gato when he was with okada a babyface manager but like it doesn't happen. And it's so cool to see one that Gato, as a manager is such like a manager ass manager. Like all, mm -hmm. all he's doing, is just like, rah, 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 rah. and it's like, he's got, you know, not a whole lot of <laughs> Kiwi. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been thinking about him screaming the word Kiwi all week. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't talk about anything other than Wrestle Kingdom. It's fucking Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, just, oh God. Yeah. 
<laughs> and he so he looks in his bucket hat now. Oh, get it, get it, messed. <laughs> but yeah, oh, okay. but yeah, no, just this this con concept of like he doesn't like really Arn Anderson doesn't really fit this mold of like pro wrestling manager. He's he really is like a coach. Like that really is the best word for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've now talked about some really good things, but on Wrestle Kingdom week. Mm -hmm. uh, AEW arguably put out one of the uh, worst shows they've had. And with that, let's bury some shit, Kara. What do you want to delete from last night's show? There is nothing in the world that I love more than, like, spooky, slightly horny witch stuff. So for weeks and weeks, I have been holding on to the Nightmare Collective, just like, you know what? This is going to pan out. These are all great wrestlers in their role. AEW smart. Every time that we've given them time, they've really panned it out. But like now, they've finally like they they finally got me. They finally got me to like give up on an AEW angle on an AEW storyline that I wanted to love the entire time. Just I I don't I don't know why it was this week that it that finally broke me. It's just because everyone's been obviously against this nightmare collective stuff for weeks and weeks, and I've been I felt like I'm the lone holdout. Maybe it was like finally interfering in a title match, just like a you know AEW really promised us this. Like I I was very excited more than more than maybe anything else on the show for. Riho versus Statlander to go out there and just wrestle a like have a professional wrestling match, hat and you know I assume there would be some angles, but like they didn't even like it wasn't even like the you're kind of like let them wrestle for 15 minutes, have their good match, and then do the angle at the end. No, the Nightmare Collective just like from the go, just like oh we're turning this entire thing into a backdrop for our angle, and this 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 match you wanted to see this this doesn't matter we. You know our our spooky witch shit matters. And I'm like, okay. And it was so frustrating because you would have Brandy on commentary, and I've been a high person on Brandy. Like I thought, as we talked about earlier, like her sit down interview stuff was some of the better things in the company, and I thought that she is a interesting character. But then on commentary, she just was just trying to bury everything, distract everything. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was like audibly like taking me out of a match because. I thought that, like, until it completely went off the rails, Rio and Chris had, for people who've never had matches together, I thought they had some really good chemistry, and I thought that they were telling an interesting story about Rio, like, being this uh, smaller wrestler who her best her, her best thing is, like, she's she's wrestled for so long, and she's able to get use her size to, to for a benefit against someone like Chris Statlander, who is clearly more of a powerhouse kind of style, and I was really enjoying it, and just completely just, like, get Brandy... And then you had the Nightmare Collective coming out, and then you had Bryce Remsburg disappearing. Then we have Japanese death la deathmatch legend Luther debuting, and then we had like the finish, and then the angle afterwards, and just was it was deflating. Like that, that's what I came out of this. Like it was like a deflating fever dream of a segment. Yeah, and I, I like, I think the fact that I think that I finally pinpointed it. The fact that I was so excited specifically for Riho versus Statlander, I think it might be the best matchup they could possibly put together of two women on this roster right now in terms of my personal interest in it. So, and like the, and the fact that they like, 
didn't even let them try to have a match. It was just from the jump. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you in that I thought Brandy was actually very funny. <laughs> okay. Oh, what was your favorite but, Brandy line then? Oh, I don't remember any line she said. I just had a funny vibe. I, my brain okay. is working right. But you are right that she completely took away from the match from 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 the go. Uh, and when when it turned into like five minutes and it's like, oh, we're not even just like going to let you wrestle. It's just people tripping you up at weird times, but then kind of denying it and like being a little coy about it. It's like, no, just fucking, just, no, just like either let them wrestle or get it over with. Don't, don't drag this out. Like it, it just took it, took up time, took me away from something I wanted and gave me something I didn't want at the same time. And it just, uh, it was not a good professional wrestling segment in my opinion. Yeah. And I think the thing that like really, compounded this is that then they followed it up with this Christopher Daniels and Sammy Guevara match where they the, the, the finish of the women's world title match was that Chris had her up for the Big Bang Theory but then Kong held her legs and Rio was able to turn into a pen and then you had another you had another banana peel loss when Pentagon came out and I thought Penta was funny going oh, was like super funny, but but like back to back and you're just like oh this is like okay we know that this has been like an underlying thing between the two but like there are ways that they could have executed this without doing the same thing twice in a row in less than a half hour yeah like that one didn't bother me quite as much because like i didn't like i i feel like there's like a kind of implicit understanding what we have right now is like oh anything christopher daniels touches is like this angle right now whereas like i i feel like there's an implicit promise of like at this point by AEW, that like Statlander versus Rhea was gonna be a wrestling match and that they failed to deliver. And then and then yeah, the 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 second one after it, uh, you know, I, I don't think it I don't think it got any worse, but it didn't certainly didn't bring anyone back up if they were kind of deflated after that. It's just just kind of let that kind of just like deflating note linger. So I I, I understand why that was just as harmful. Yeah, and it, it I guess like overall and this might just be me. I'm going to put this theory out to you. If you, like, take the show and you separate into halves, clear halves at, like, top hour one, hour two, the second hour of the show was some really solid, like, to the level of what Dynamite was programming, but you had such a weird and, like, disappointing in a lot of ways and awkward in other ways and honestly, like, just, like, fever dream-like stuff for that first hour that I feel like that a lot of people were just like, why are we down on a, are, are we down on a page and Omega versus private party? Because I feel like you're lumping that into the first hour when I thought it was perfectly competent. And especially that it told all those good stories that we talked about. I guess like private party, like I've seen like now enough that like private party, like my disappointment in that match was like, I, I, I think talking with you made me come along and like this match a little bit more, but like initially when I was watching it, I was so big in a private party, especially coming out of the tag team tournament. But like the more I see them, it just they're yeah. a team that I want to see them like expand and get more ring experience because this kind of match was not a match they should have had. Maybe that's my frustration with this. That, um, that's why lumping it into the whole hour. Yeah, yeah. I I, I I do agree with you that like private party are not at the level where they're having like blow away like uh normal um matches. Like, you know, you're you're kind of like sell a bunch hot tag you know tag matches mm-hmm. at, at this point in their career um but i thought that you know in in that spot uh for what it was you know that kind of was demonstrated by the fact that they got beat 
um, you know, and I, and I've just kind of felt like they've been slotted as a mid card tag team that are, that are kind of prospect guys. And I, it, it feels honest that they are not the best at long matches yet. And uh, the, the fact that Omega and Paige were in there to, you know, spice it up, keep things interesting by incorporating their angle just a little bit in creative ways and uh, really kept, kept that match up just enough. And like, yeah, no, I, I, I feel like I just like have, def- I've always been a lot more honest about what private party was to like, I, I, I guess I never got like super caught up in that hype because like, I felt like, yeah, they're great spot guys and they're like 25 and 22 years old, I guess. So, yeah. I, I guess that was like I got caught up. Though so, though we did talk about like a parallel world conspiracy theory about like Mark Quinn's age. Which, <laughs> uh, yeah, because I, I thought that too. So yeah, uh, right. So, so like the idea is that there was a theory, and I don't know how this got spread. Maybe it was cage match that like had like an incorrect age and made someone, everyone think that Mark someone Quinn might have had an incorrect date. That like uh, it was a common belief that among like many of us that like Mark Quinn was like in his mid thirties or, or something like that. And he he now seems to be listed everywhere as like twenty five years mm-hmm. old. So he must have entered some sort of like Bernstein Bears world portal. Hey, so, I mean. I feel like that that kind of like makes a lot of sense now with like that because like for a while it's like is he really that old like it's the whole it's the whole Keith Lee thing like no one knew Keith Lee's age for the longest time so yeah. but but yeah uh before we move on uh uh what other thing was there anything else that you really really disliked about the show like I feel like we covered the whole Nightmare Collective thing in like the first hour pretty well but was there anything else that kind of stuck out uh, we can we can we can go through the rest of the show. Uh, what what I wanted to get in here before we before we left the seg, uh, you can't call the segment elite or delete. It's a terrible name. Delete is owned by the WWE. They own that verb. There's a whole chant about it. Like we can't we can't have the slightest implication. Like that that word is ruined now. It's gone. And like I don't th- I don't think you're gonna reclaim it. So you know I I gotta I gotta delete delete. Okay. Um, you know I don't have a better replacement. Uh, so you know I'm just doing you know your very typical online leftist thing of like just saying your thing is bad and have no better idea yeah yeah it's canceled now i it wasn't my it wasn't my idea this was a bentley show and bentley now oh yeah you're uh, bentley's canceled yeah yeah bentley it's it's your fault you're canceled buddy all right all right so we didn't get to cover it last week because of the holiday but the ratings came out this afternoon and aew was back with a uh Nine forty at nine hundred forty-seven thousand total viewership, sixth in a time slot for point three six demo. This uh, utterly spanked NXT, who came back with their first live show since before Christmas at seven seven hundred and twenty-one thousand with fifty-fifth in the. So this is the second straight week that they were under out of the top fifty demo-wise, and they had a point one nine. Uh, interesting day, like TV-wise, because this was the first Wednesday that everyone was really back like airing things jeopardy pretty much spanked everyone and it just had like 14 million viewers and then everyone else kind of... had, sorry big jeopardy had i tried out i used to try yeah i i amount of our, of our readers are like that kind of pathetic nerd oh yeah no no like definitely like this i had a former co-worker who went on jeopardy so like i when i found out that she did i got very jealous but like I didn't watch this, and I'll, I'll go back later and watch all these things. But you know, everyone wanted to watch Jeopardy, so 
that's why things were uh were, did you try out for jeopardy are you much of a kind of a oh, uh I, I believe yeah i've tried out for multiple kinds of jeopardy i got to the second round of team jeopardy so that's like ultra nerd shit okay okay so like quiz bowl adjacent nerd i gotcha I right 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 no 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 no. but it was like no it was the legit team jeopardy show like they brought me in for the audition and so okay on, so. oh geez all right yeah no i never got past the online test yeah wow yeah. I just like the whole thing of like Jeopardy now, like now it's like become so much like a generational thing that like when I think about like teen Jeopardy calls Jeopardy and all this, and then maybe this is going to be again, social mores. I feel like that a lot of this, this week was also everyone just going like, Oh, Alex Trebek is probably going to die. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So that's why we're Uh, watching. Yeah. I, he's, he's said something like he's hinted or said retirement, I believe. Like, right. With that away, you get kind of a little, it's a little bit of a Jushin Liger thing going on. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's like the only other thing happening this week, other than Jushin Thunder Liger's retirement. Because we all know who the real Jeopardy goat is. Oh, absolutely. I I mean, Brad Rutter, I mean, this is another era. Like, like, this is what we're going to, like, I understand, like, he was like before Ken Jennings and before, I forget what the Austin guy's name was and before the current guy. But like, this is like, again, he, he is like the Tony Ku coach there. Different area. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, did, I don't I, think I, I, I definitely, I, I was trying to do a sentimental thing. I meant the real goat was Alex, but like, sure. We can, we can talk like actual things too. Oh, sorry. Sorry. That, that, that's on <laughs> there. That's on there. <laughs> oh no, it's, it's, that's, that's Iron Mike's fears. I mean, he's got, he's got the Jeopardy info. He's got, Brad Rutter, Tony Kukoc, let's go. Yeah, yeah, let's 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 get with it. Uh, do you have any thoughts on ratings in general? Like, I don't think I've ever talked to you, Kara, about, about ratings, about yeah, like AEW versus NXT. I find that I, I don't like ratings talk. I think ratings people way way overanalyze weekly ratings talk. As a person who's like worked in statistics before, I just mm-hmm. the level of like noise and the level of so many different variables going into this, like like people people talking about ratings in the case that like oh here it is how much like um it's interesting to talk about ratings and like here's how you're doing compared to your like tv deal are you going to get like renewed is this television show going to exist versus this other television show you know that's legitimate talk people who say is like oh the ratings are down 10 percent for the dark order segment fucking de them immediately that's you're you're fucking reading tea leaves you have no idea what you're talking about just just stop please you're just using fake statistics to reach a conclusion that you already have stop i totally see where you're coming from i guess i'm someone that i find it interesting and also i think that's also people making these determinations like this this is still week 14 of tv like that sample size is so small like as a baseball nerd like you don't talk about statistics until june so like have you ever like seen those like big like the when like one of the sites that like talk about AEW ratings, they like put on the spreadsheet of like, here's what the top 50 shows and here's what we're ranking things against. And like the numbers were like in, at the end of the day, we're like comparing to like fucking Alaska highway truckers versus like Alaska <laughs> PD. Uh, Alaska PD is definitely a real one. I uh, did. And I like, mean... this is just, these are just like such tiny blips in like the overall media universe, like coming from week to week. It's, it's just like, it's, in like this giant ocean of like the content world, like getting longer term trends off of it, like talking about AEW ratings in a week's like in like over like a year's time, it's like, oh, is Turner like gonna renew them when they come back up? Like that that's the sort of ratings talk I care about. And I think that uh 
overall, you know, people are focusing on this, like, this week-to-week, like, AEW versus NXT battle, which is when the real battle is, like, okay, uh, Turner, a, Tony Khan probably sold AEW to TNT on the promise of, what, like, 40, 400,000 viewers a week? It like, was, yeah, about that. Yeah, so, like, they're they're either, like, meeting or blowing the pants off of, you know, the original expectations, like, every single week. What NXT is doing in comparison and what these week-to-week fluctuations are for based on, and trying to base booking around for popping ratings week-to-week versus, you know, trying to build up a long-term trend of a healthy company and telling storylines. You know, I, yeah, I, I don't, that's where I think, like, the focus on, like, weekly ratings battles is misguided. But also, it's super fucking fun. So, yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah, it's your team versus my team. Yeah. Oh, and and yeah, there's like a clear baby face and a clear heel in this one too. So that's why it, that's why it's fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I I totally get where you're coming from. That's something that I'm trying to like keep in line. Like I have the spreadsheet that like I'm trying to get things, but like I keep on looking back at it and like a data. It's like okay, this one was during a week where like the ecosystem was completely off. So should this really be counted as data? And it's just hard to work with. Yeah, so. but the ecosystem is like off in some way like every week, and like mm-hmm. also all of those all those bad weeks like actually happened you know like we have right. to like count, like they did like sell ads based on that and had to recoup money in the real world based on that you can't really throw that data out in in the long-term scheme of things but also this is this is why like trying to go week to week isn't the isn't the thing and the longer term trend is yeah no i i totally get where you're coming from there so Let's run down the show. Uh, anything you want to jump in on, please do. So this opened with a, a video recap. The second week in a row they've done this, kind of doing like previously, where it was featuring the big elite comeback in Jacksonville and Hangman doing commentary for the main event and refusing to come out with the elite and celebrate in the ring, and then the Jericho and Mox thing. All right, I'm going to jump in. We got third chair, Delphi Meower. All right. Hey, De- hey, Fi. She can't hear me. I have headphones on. All right. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. So, so then after that, we cut to the arena. Dave Brown, former Memphis uh, color commentator, was out to do commentary for the opener, which was cool because I think it's the first time Dave Brown ever did nationally televised wrestling. And this was the Page and Omega match versus Private Party. Page and Omega again defeated Private Party when Kenny hit the one wing angel on Mark Quinn after a joint V trigger and buckshot lariat. I really liked, uh, we didn't mention this before, Dave Brown out there was kind of refreshing. It was. It's nice seeing these old, like, old-time territory guys, like, get into what's going on here. Kind of like how Tony Schiavone gets into it. It was nice to see Dave Brown being nice and complimentary. Yeah, I feel like there's kind of, like, a, an, an effect of, like, anyone, like, over a certain, any, like, wrestling person over a certain age. It's, like, I, I feel like we're almost, like, a little bit, like, either embarrassed or like defiant to like you know please like this thing it's like we like no really we think this is the best kind of wrestling it's like and so like if when other people can like really embrace that and get into it even when they fall outside the quote-unquote demographic to it it's like oh yeah this is just the world looks like a fucking big joyous party and it's, and it's so glad to see like anyone who wants to fucking participate in it so yeah and so I, I yeah I, I have that same feeling I think of when Taz was calling the show last week even though you know completely different different generation from Dave Brown and like you get you get a lot of that energy with a Shivani every week too they're just like really happy to be here even though they're like a little befuddled need to be have things walked walked through to them because they you know they've been out of the game for a while or just like this they were so used to certain other things they're just 
people who are really open to new experiences um, really add a lot to the world, I think is the bigger philosophical lesson from bringing Memphis legend Dave Brown on commentary. I'm going to take that away from this episode. Mm-hmm. That was, thank you, Car, for imparting that on me. That I think that's a very salient point. After this match, they had Pac, who was doing another beatdown of Michael Nakazawa. He had the Brutalizer screaming for his rubber match. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was a little hard to tell. It was Nakazawa at first. They just actually never showed his face again. But yeah. they kind of, there's really only one guy with that hairline on the roster. So, <laughs> yeah, no, like there's, a, there's only one guy who doesn't like, who's bald, who does not completely shave their head. Right, so, right. So I, I guess QT Marshall, but yeah, so that happened. I, I can tell QT Marshall and Michael Maxwell over it. And also, yeah, no. we're both on the show, so it would have been a big continuity error. Yeah, there we go. There mm-hmm. we go. So, so yeah, that was happening when Paige was drinking out of the crowd. Was not phased at all by Michael Maxwell getting attacked. He doesn't yeah, care. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's he's a nihilist alcoholic millennial. Yeah, he he absolutely gives off the kind of vibe of, like, a guy that is the, like, exact age that Hangman Page is. What is he, like, 28? I th- he is under 30. He might be 29, but I think 28 or 29. Yeah. No, he, is, he is 28. He is younger than me and depressing. But um, he, yeah, he just gives off the kind of guy who just, like, decided to get really into alcoholism at 28. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, really just really smart person who just kind of, like, understands that he's not quite good enough right now and everything around him is bullshit. So it's what uh it's what substance abuse is for yeah no and it 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 actually for him i Paige is a, like the person who's kind of always and i think they've kind of tapped into it, like him kind of floundering and finding his place and i feel like this like aspect of him is really relatable especially with like how he is as yeah. both a person and online it seems like i feel oh, like absolutely. they've tapped into it and i think it's been uh, borderline amusing at points but i think that it's something that each week he's been getting bigger bigger response so it's working yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting because it's like a pro wrestling storyline that like is trying to evoke like a kind of like quiet pathos. Like he's mm-hmm. it's not it's not a heel turn as of yet, and I'm not even sure that it is teasing a heel turn. Like I don't I don't like pro wrestling brain rot s- says like oh this this is a tune up for a heel turn. When are when are going to turn him? Whereas like me just like watching this as a pro wrestling show, it's like oh this kind of sucks. This like talented dude is like fucking depressed and like obviously. He's doing like a cartoon version of like a spiral into depression and alcoholism, but like this is, yeah. I mean, you can totally. I still view Hangman Page as like a baby face, you know, going through some shit right now, and not like someone who I'm waiting on to turn heel. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that that's something that the way they've played off of this, and the fact that he's like so frustrated, and he's teaming with someone who he doesn't seem like he wants to team with, but he's still succeeding. Yeah, and, and that just like buries that's like burying his loathing a little bit more deeper in a way like it, it's yeah. very relatable and interesting like that's yeah. now that now we're talking about that definitely has been one of the, like that was one of the highlights of the night so after that uh we had the two angles going on there there was the uh hard sell three shot of the announced crew women's world title match uh as was Riho defeated chris with with a banana peel uh I thought that the Luther reveal was ridiculous, and then Riho copping him in the stomach ruled and made me uh, laugh. Yeah, the, the Luther reveal was like, I think that was the exact moment where I was like right about to like go all the way out on it, and then like immediately just Riho. I, I think the splash like just as much like I was already popping for the for like Riho just immediately going after this like three uh, hundred pound deathmatch legend. Yeah, with, with the body slash, but yeah, the little punch that she gives him in the stomach at the end is 
Ah, uh, Riho, Riho's great. It, it, it was like a touch that would not work for anyone else, but Riho just popping M1. Yeah. On her way up, getting back into the match. Getting, that, getting right back into the match, but just like, one's like, no, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> it was so great. And yeah. then, yeah, uh, the match, I feel like we kind of hit on it before. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. Afterwards, we had the big scrum with Sheeta. I think Big Swole was out there as well. Sunny Kiss. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of fighting them off, but Britt Baker staying put in the crowd and kind of vamping up that I'm good over here look to kind of finish out this mm-hmm. segment. So I thought that this was, and they've made this into something for Miami next week. So I thought that, that like week to week continuity wise, this made sense. But after like all the deflating stuff we talked about before, it's just kind of like, huh, okay. I think the Britt Baker heel turn is, is like another thing where people are getting another, I, I guess like wrestling brainworms is like the theme of the show now. Like <laughs> where, where a lot of people are like getting real, very annoyed. It's like, oh, why why didn't Britt just turn heel and put her through the table? It's like, no, that's not her character. She's not like a person who gets like super violent angry. She's just like kind of very annoyed that the crowd is turning on her and like is you is kind of leveraging her place as like an attractive white blonde athlete who like really does have the promotion behind her a little bit to just kind of feel this like sense of entitlement and like yeah that's like a little bit of nuance you can do a character it's like not everyone has to do the same get be a heel the same way it's like people... it's interesting it, it's interesting and it plays into i think it plays into what has happened with brit already like Brit as as well as you can it's it's like kind of it's making the best out of like something pretty good, you know, not like lighting the world on fire, but like using kind of authenticity to like, not just hard rebooting Britt Baker or like forcing her to keep being something she's not, but like just kind of like flowing naturally into her next thing in an honest way. And I I really appreciate that kind of attention to detail. Yeah. And and I think that like this week was the most interested I've been in Britt Baker as a character, just staying in the crowd and just throwing up her hands like this then. She's been in months, so yeah. it's that's a good uh, It's like yeah. she, she didn't do anything. She's just like, no, I, I can't be fucked. It's not my problem. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's worked really well, and I'm interested to see where it goes for it because now, like, there's stuff going on now with this uh, nightmare collective against the uh, babyface women that's going to go on, and it's kind of like, how is she going to play into it other than I'm cool over here? Yeah, because because it doesn't really feel like she's joining the Nightmare Collective at all, and that's like the kind of pro wrestling brain rot thing. So yeah, say like, oh, we can only do one feet at a time. What the fuck? But it's like no, Britt Baker's just throwing character. Yeah, yeah. After that, uh, there was a super bad Kip Sabian video. Uh, Kara, I don't remember anything from this video. Do you? It, it, wasn't it more like a like a Penelope video? It kind of struck me. Okay. As more of that, I most of what I remember from it, it was just a lot of uh, telling the kind of story of you know Penelope. And and Sabian, but mostly her doing a lot of like cool spots, which is you know the thing she does as as a wrestler. She has a couple of great cool spots, and um, and told a little bit of the story of you know she punched Joey in the dick that one time, and then they got uh you know out, out of the break they I Excalibur did mention the kind of real life uh, Penelope and Joey relationship ending for, so that that is uh, now in canon part of the story as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting how Joey at least seemed to be, like, I remember there was a shoot video on High Spots that he did before TV started up. He's like, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do this. And then I guess now either they decided that this is best or they're just going to tromp around through it, but it's at least giving Penelope something to do. 
John seems like the kind of guy who's like smart enough about like wrestling and like the dialectic that he is mm-hmm. both like legitimately like angry about this at the same time, but like also can like work and make money even like while still not being fully on board with it, you know? Sure. Yeah. No, it makes but, sense. like really like that. That's what that's what being a good worker is really in the end. And Joe and Joey Janela is a fantastic worker. Unblock the account. Yeah, unblock the account. I haven't done anything wrong to Joey Janela. I think that was all uh aaron and aaron's fault i mean taub's barely on the show anymore so yeah joey janela is was in the best pro wrestling match i've ever seen live so was that that uh randy myers match randy myers versus joey janela in defy pro wrestling uh go watch your local indie uh your local indie is always gonna have like one guy who you're always gonna like scream about to the rest of the world who you think is secretly the best wrestler in the world and everyone's gonna think you're insane and i think anyone who's been to defy says that uh, randy uh, ravenous randy myers of british columbia is like that guy who like should be on AEW. yeah like i'm trying to think of who would be the one in upstate south carolina and i guess people would say probably tracer x maybe <laughs> so uh, uh, new japan for wrestling alumnus tracer x hey uh he is in the pwx 16 with uh i think it's uh, uh it's Quado's not coming up. I'm 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 blanking on the young lions who are. I think Clark Connors is going to be in that, so I might go for that. Defy wrestling, uh, defy wrestling. Clark Connors. I saw him in an eight man there. I thought he was the third best guy who's on the match. Hey, uh, he, he's gotten he's gotten much better. I went I went to the Super J Cup back up here, and he he was in that, and he uh, the dojo system works, baby. Uh, is he another uh, buddy guy? I believe so. Okay, yeah, I. Big fan of Buddy Wayne trainees, especially uh, Darby and, of course, the true top gaijin, Rebel Kill. So. <laughs> Rebel Kill? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, looks like Clark Connors is both a Lance Storm and a Buddy Wayne guy. Interesting. That is a that is not what I would expect with him going up there, but good for him. Uh, From Snoqualmie, Washington, uh, which is where the uh, waterfall in Twin Peaks is. Oh, uh, that's right to my interests. Okay. A little bit Washington lore for y'all. I, I appreciate it just because, like, I've never... I've never been to the Pacific Northwest and I love Twin Peaks and I didn't know that. So I highly recommend it. Um, uh, The real diner from the show is a place called Tweed. It's about uh, 15 minutes down the road from Snoqualmie and which is about an hour outside of Seattle. It's a pretty easy trip to do if you're a touristy around the PNW. All right. I I think sometime that that I'll let Jerry pull it up there. Also, uh, Ren Narita was the only other person I was thinking about. It's Ren Narita and Carl Fredericks and the PW16. So all right. That's interesting, at least to me. Uh, so after that, uh, Christopher Daniels versus Sammy Guevara. Sammy got the distraction win with the Penta coming out and asking him to do an Arabian press, which was frankly hilarious, but I was frustrated with it. Uh, I don't like, I'm looking at my match notebook and I thought that like Sammy took a lot of the match before like going into the distraction part. So I thought that was kind of interesting when how they're portraying. Christopher Daniels in the doubt. And as you said earlier, this is going to be his thing going forward. So I thought that was interesting. I do not remember a single thing from the match personally. Okay. I think I had like, uh, I completely had tuned out from the Nightmare Collective stuff. And like, I, I kind of had that same thought as soon as I, as soon as Christopher Daniels came out, how do you feel about this like botch storyline? I, I don't know where I'm, I'm of mixed opinion about it. I, I like, I'm not going to call it a success, but I like kind of think, but when I see it coming up, I'm like, I don't know if I care about this. I don't. It's kind of a weird thing to address, and I like Christopher Daniels, and you're doing. A, I don't. I don't know how to feel about this. Yeah, it's like what I get is like I. I think a little bit of the intention, but like I don't know if they're kind of nailing it. It's like eh. right, right. Yeah, it's one of the things that like other than like the penta be uh, like how ridiculous that was. Like 
I thought it would have been interesting if the finish would have been okay, Daniels goes for like the best moonsault ever, and then like Moose misses one of the uh springboards and like falls, and then Sammy gets the pen out of there because he's a scumbag shithead. Mm-hmm. Like that would have been a more satisfying thing personally to me, but like having Daniels doing this when like he is a guy that I mean, we talk about like wrestling, like that's kind of a rote point with him. Uh I don't know how I feel about this as like a use of him right now, unless like there's there was legitimate health issues. So if this is the kind of way he has to do until he feel, until he gets better or until he segues, yeah. then yeah. Keep then keep him off TV. Like yeah. Yeah. This is this yeah, this is like this is worse for him than being on TV. Because you're not he's not like getting anyone else over by it yet. Right. Yeah, no, it's totally. It's just like kind of like, oh, Christopher Daniels is in a weird place, which Again, like I, I appreciate the verisimilitude of them telling stories like this, but yeah, no. we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, after that, we had Dark Order came out. It was not like the full creepers. It was uh, Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, the Beaver Boys, and then the mask guy with like the skull on the mask. Yeah, trying to recruit Daniel, saying your fingerprints are all over wrestling in days. Uh, he turned it down. There was a big brawl where the Bucks and SCU came out to even the odds there. So. I feel like the segment was like fine, but like, yeah. it, I, but it was like, it was a fine segment, like after another, like in eh, a segment after like one of the worst segments that AEW's had. Right. So, so I, th- I think like if you had like, like reversed the order of like the last three segments, like that dark order, like the Daniels and dark order stuff, I would have been like a little more, little more into, you know, coming, coming off that first tag team match, which I thought was pretty good. And I, then I would have said, yeah, that was pretty good. And then, the woman stuff would have got me down and then I would have gotten back up to gotten back up from these matches coming up. And it would have been like a fine AEW show. It's just the kind of layout of the show really, really hurt them. Yeah. That's a good point. That's something I didn't think of. Like if this was earlier, like switch those two maps matches around. Cause I thought evil Uno kind of caught like a decent promo here. Like, I don't think he's, yeah, Yeah. I think I thought this was fine, but yeah, I think, I think that's a good point about like just their, and it does seem like to be a recurrent thing that necessarily their layout and timing has not been one of their strong suits this yeah. early in their run. Yeah, I feel like there is a little bit of like where you can see a little bit of the seams to like there is one part of the world in which the WWE may have may have an advantage. And like, you know, just by doing just by dint of doing things from like 40 years kevin dunn has like learned one or two useful things maybe <laughs> right yeah like that that the competition can't just like conjure out of nowhere yeah like timing out a show is a very complicated thing and yeah. that's something they're still trying to figure out uh but the next match was my favorite match of the show i love this tag match as we talked about earlier uh lucha brothers uh versus cody and dustin Rhodes. they're going with the brotherhood thing for them uh Dustin got the final reckoning on Phoenix, which was kind of surprising. Phoenix taking a fall like this mm-hmm. in this match. I really liked this match. I thought this was really fun. Mm-hmm. I just, just it was just was great. I like this was like one of my favorite Lucha Brother tag matches in a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was a really good match. I'm, I'm kind of like, I, again, I'm a little torn by the the finish, just because like I don't know where they're going with like the Lucha Brothers being heel. You know, it always feels like kind of out of place for them. But like you said, right. I, really, I really liked Arn, you know, being a really effective baby face. And like, yeah, like really getting getting in there and like doing these kind of things that you like really never see out of a pro wrestling manager. And then like get, getting involved that way and really leading into the finish. And make, so maybe they're kind of demonstrating to the Lucha Bros like, hey, stop being heel. Maybe that's the storyline they're going for. Yeah. Do a face turn. 
but yeah, so, but the, the action of the match itself, you know, that, these are four great pro wrestlers. I think nobody can, it, it's, it's kind of hard to dispute that, you know, unless you like want to be a real asshole about either Cody or Pentagon, but you, you're out to lunch. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that this was just a competent, solid TV tag match and mm-hmm. just was a good fun time. And then, <laughs> uh, do you have any other thoughts about the match before we get into what Shivoni and the whole like kind of promo half hour that came up after that? Pretty good promo half hour. Yeah, yeah, we had Shivoni with Cody. Aren't interrupted saying, "I don't know MJF how MJF believes he has strokes, but we'll talk about it and get back to you." That went straight into MJF and just general MJF, like just being a absolute dickhead. Uh, he counted down for Cody to give his response. DEP interrupted. DEP plugged all of his shit that he's ever done in the last twenty years, mm-hmm. and that had an MJF live tweet. Oh, oh, great. Oh, this this whole segment, both of them are great. Um, big fan of DDP. I have shoot gotten into DDP yoga at one point, mm-hmm. um, and I think he is just a, a likable and charismatic man, especially in his and understands the corniness of his plugs. And yeah, MJF like legitimately live, like legitimately actually like when he pulled out the phone, it was funny enough that like sending out an actual tweet just like absolutely popped me probably harder than anything else on the show. Yeah, there was a lot of like really funny little moments on this show this week. Yeah, we were talking about it, and that was like yeah, one of the best. AW like nailed a lot of little things this week, but they really didn't really did not land a bunch of the big things. Yeah, yeah. So, so that led to DP wanting a fight, and JF called up the motherfucking butcher, the motherfucking blade, the motherfucking bunny. He DDP dropped them to couple. I mean, he's he's in a sixty. He dropped them with diamond cutters. I'm not going to bury a guy with like his health things, and then. Bunny blowed him, and then QT and Dustin made the save, and that leads to a match next week. Mm-hmm. First EDP match, I think. Did he? I, I don't know when he's wrestled last. No, it, it like ha- no. I think he like was actually retired, ass retired. Like I know he worked for TNA, like yeah, in the, like weekly pe- pay per viewers. But like I don't know if he had anything after that. Yeah, it says his last. Uh, this, he can't trust Wikipedia for that. Uh, no, it I'm might not, actually. Be, I'm going to cage match. Yeah. Up. Yeah, yeah. So they, they're having a, a trios match at the U next week, which will be interesting with basically MJF and Butcher and the Blade versus DDP, Dustin and QT Marshall. So that's uh, that's going to be an interesting tag match. <laughs> like, so, so uh, DD, DDP has uh, done done two nostalgia rumbles for the Fed, whatever. Uh, that's not real wrestling. Um, his last pro wrestling match before that was Diamond Dallas Page and Kevin Nash at uh, AWE Night of the Legends at Augusta, in Augusta Expo Center in Fisher, Fisherville, Virginia. Diamond Dallas Page and Kevin Nash went to a no contest with 2019 Tag Team of the Year, the Rock and Roll Express. You know, I okay, they got 2,000 people for that show. All right, yeah, that that makes that makes a bunch of sense there. Yeah, <laughs> fucking DDP and the Rock and Roll Express. Hell yeah, I'd go to that show if they ran it fucking tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Look at the rest of the show. Uh, Finley's on it. Uh, Perry uh, Saturn, Sanjay Dutt. <laughs> that is a wild show. Tommy Dreamer versus Terry like, Funk. Like we're just talking about like the like the indie show that has like one like super worker out of nowhere. Was that? I don't know if we recorded that discussion or not, but like um, Sanjay Dutt just like being like a four star worker, you know, amongst all the CW Andersons and like uh, Dennis Condries of the world. <laughs> Yeah, wow, that is that, and yet you have to know that the people in Fisherville, Virginia, were going nuts for the Rock and Roll Express. Oh, of course, I would, I would go nuts for the Rock and Roll Express. What the fuck? Who wouldn't? So, Kara, uh, 
I used to see big time wrestling shows when they come through the area, just because like I was so dire for some kind of wrestling that I would oh, go yeah. to the Spartanburg War Memorial, and the this was like four years ago, and the Rock and Roll Express, like just like seeing how a South Carolina crowd was reacting to them twenty years past their peak. How many like, like how many like eighty year old ladies were in that crowd? It was like probably about a good uh, one third of the of the population were women who had their AARP cards. <laughs> Hell yeah. It, it was great. It also had Scott Steiner in a cage match. It was a wow. wild time. Steiner's still wrestling, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's uh, doing some stuff, I think, for TNA. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I was realized he was getting, like, semi-active booked somewhere. That's awesome. Mm. I yeah, something. Pro wrestling's great. Yeah. You got to do something when you're not busy managing your Stuckies so, franchises. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I uh, I legitimately, and and I believe I said this in one of our secret group chats, but uh, I legitimately believe, like, DDP wrestling is, like, a draw. That's, like, oh, shit, like, I, people are going to come to their TV sets or people are going to come to that show because, like, Diamond Dallas Page is, like, a professional wrestling star. Like, I could call up my parents and talk about Diamond Dallas Page, like, kind of star. Yeah, no, and especially, like, he was someone that before he got into wrestling, he was big, like, in the music promotion scene in South oh, Florida. Yeah. Like he was like he ran bars in Fort Myers. So oh, like yeah. uh, no, DEP has like gigantic Florida energy. Yeah, so it's so, like he makes perfect sense that he has he doesn't just have like Florida energy, he has like South Florida dirtbag energy in oh, a certain yeah. way. I'm not enough from a Florida connoisseur to like really, really tell them apart. Yeah, yeah. He, he definitely seems like someone who would be running like a dive yeah. bar. I mean, I mean then again, you have like no idea where anything in California is located. So Oh, I absolutely no clue. I have yeah. no no idea. I'll be going to my brother's wedding out in California in a few months, and it's in like the mysterious town of Glendale, and I don't know <laughs> anything about it other than apparently that's where the Costco's over near. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, <laughs> getting back, we, we, we only got one more match, and then the final angle to talk about here. Uh, Jurassic Express versus Best Friends in Orange Cassidy. Jurassic Express beat the Best Friends in Orange Cassidy when Jungle Boy got his first direct fall in the AEW when he pinned Chuck with a victory roll. They were really big on pointing that out too. So, mm-hmm. so it sounds like they're they're pretty serious about this this Jungle Boy. Uh, Jungle Boy is the guy, you know. Twenty twenty, Jungle Boy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, did you watch the Road to Memphis YouTube video? I did watch both. Uh, both Road to and Being the Elite had Jungle Boy in very big spots this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get to the. I, I watched Being the Elite before we recorded, and there are some things about Being the Elite I want to get to. But the thing about the Road Two was like they made a special emphasis about like Jungle Boy, like sitting down, saying like people think I'm too small, people think twenty pounds too light, but I think I'm like ready now. And I was like, okay, this feels like Jungle Boy 2020 mindsets upon us. Yeah, yeah. So this this match was probably like the biggest thing pushed on uh, on the Road Two. So we should mm-hmm. probably point point that out. You know, they they really got everyone. Uh, you know, they they got all of the Jungle Express to like give a kind of you know in in the Road Two style like the the semi shoot semi work. You know, you know it's not Luchasaurus telling a joke. It's like pretty close to fucking Austin Matheson talking about you know playing a dinosaur on television. Yeah, and, and you know the the real hardships that they've all encountered as like pro wrestlers and so on and so on, and really built up this match, and then then at the end led to the angle of this match. It's like. Oh, but you know, Trent and Chuck said we can't hug on TV, and we're gonna hug if we want to. Was the big uh, was the big way to to put over this match. So that that's the level of kayfabe that we're offering that we're at in the Road Two shows. It's like, and you know, everyone's everyone's having fun going along with that. So, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, and this match was just like a fun match. Source looks better. 
Like, and Marco is ridiculously over because this is apparently near his hometown. So it was a good time. Like, really, like, after you got out of that, like, really dire half hour, like, they finished the show pretty strong, which is kind of wild considering, like, how bad that half hour was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this match, but I can't remember anything specific from it just because, like, that, like, this was a fever dream show. Uh, I remembered the I remember the pinfall like that yeah. that uh, that flash pin and they and they put it over long enough was just enough to like break through my like complete wrestling feud. Yeah, because like yeah, like even if they like even if they had put on a good show like my I, you know I I did the full like three nights stay at for like Wrestle Kingdom Wrestle Kingdom New Year's Dash mm-hmm. completely reversed my sleep schedule so just like completely OD'd on wrestling. Um. Yeah, like even if this had been like an average show, I think I would have been tuned out for a lot for it. But sure, it's not an average show. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, then... anyway, my point is that 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 jungle Bo- that jungle boy pinfall was shocking enough, well done enough. It re- really cut through my wrestling haze and got 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 through to me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're in Jungle Boy twenty twenty with that. Uh, final the final angle was the big uh, answer from Moxley that did the. Uh, Local heat, and then the big tease where Moxley had the T-shirt on, saying that he was going to join. Went on a little long, then he went on way long, way long, like about three minutes, which made me think again timing on yeah. the show. Like mm-hmm. they, I think they sent him out there thinking this well, was going to be ten minutes, but they needed fifteen out of them. Just nobody for a second thought he was bought that he that Moxley was doing the inner circle. This was so this like felt so WWE like in a way that like almost nothing else did. Like the extended part where it kind of like feels like okay you're insulting our intelligence by telling us to believe that like moxley is joining the inner circle it's like it's not like why are you playing this out for like longer than a beat is is like non-aew it was it was the second worst thing on this on this show to me the, okay. the middle the middle of this angle and and the angle was long enough that it had a distinct good beget decent beginning a terrible middle and pretty good ending so right yeah it, it, i just really think like going back to like we we're talking about i feel like that they missed time this show and this was mm-hmm. a 10 minute angle that they needed 15 out of but because yeah like they didn't do enough playing the seeds of doubt about moxley and jericho's relationship maybe they thought that we all had like the common knowledge that wasn't there for that so yeah. like there was, so, like you were absolutely right card there was like no doubt whatsoever so you were just waiting tapping your toe waiting for him to he's gonna turn yeah and then when you did it was great when you did yeah. it I mean, he was like, oh, by the way, I lied. And he fucking kept the, the fact that he kept the four GT keys at the end, I think, was what absolutely tied the segment together. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that is why he went along with it. He mm-hmm. really wanted that fucking sweet car. Okay, Mox rules. Yeah, yeah. So like, like, I, I get that. It's just that, yeah, went on, went on way too long in the middle. Way absolutely. too long. Felt, felt re- really bad. And then it ended fine. Yeah. Then, it re- really a microcosm for the show. Yeah, like, it went on a little long. It was a show that they, it could have done some tightening up and taking out some things, yeah, but it ended up being fine. Yeah, and you you can kind of like focus on the bad, or you can focus on the good, and that's both. That's I think that's both very legitimate because I think that they're both very very present and loud. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably about a good way to talk about that show. They mm-hmm. take the uh, Darby Allen versus Jason or Jason. Why well, call him Jason? There, uh, Brandon Cutler, uh, Nyla Rose versus Shauna. Billy and Austin Gunn versus Sean Spears and Pierre Avalon, and they had the Memphis Legends segment on Dark. 
So that was kind of sad we didn't get a bigger Memphis Legends segment on the show. I thought that was something they could really do to like uh, stand, be be like cool wrestling while specifically doing something that WWE would never fucking do. Mm-hmm. Like, and and I think that like Dave Brown was like their their one nod to it. But like, I'm glad they got in. But I, I think they could have uh, they could have spared uh, you know a good like eight minute seg off, maybe cut off the end of that last segment to 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 get a to get a couple guys in the ring and wave them and so on and so on. Yeah, and especially like when like the Rock and Roll Express, which you've used oh, the Rock before, were like yeah, professional fucking wrestlers. Yeah, like yeah. there's stuff to do with that. So like that's kind of weird. But so that's going to be on dark, I guess. Like the whole thing of Austin Gun Match is that they were supposed to be a dark match from last week. So maybe this one actually makes tape. Uh, mm-hmm. uh so that's what's going to come up there. Of course, the last one before they go on the cruise ship is the show next Wednesday from Nate and my Zala Mater, the U, the Watsco Center. I went to a bunch of uh, Shane Larkin games there. So. Mm-hmm. That's like straight up there. Uh, Pac versus Darby Allen, which is a match I think Bentley and I will probably come to blows about. Uh, yeah, I'll come to blows with myself about it. It's just going to be a, like, that that match is a match that I didn't know I needed until it happened. And then as soon as it's announced, AW is so fucking good. Yeah, like this is like, like as, this, is, this is like why I like, can't get too down on the, on the Nightmare Collective stuff because, like, oh, my spy just knocked something. Great. <laughs> uh, like, uh, this is why I like, can't get down on AEW for like too long, even when they like do legitimately like shit at my television. It's like, oh, <laughs> no other wrestling promotion is gonna give me fucking Darby Allen versus Pac in like in like a fucking crazy college crowd on national television. It's gonna fucking rule. Are you kidding? Yeah, and if they play this right, and if I was given like the promotional thing, and if anyone from the promotion is listening to this podcast at this point, you have to get Sebastian the Ibis there, and there's enough U grads around there that i'm certain that you could find like alonso highsmith also it's bash at the beach someone's got to take a bump into the water probably gonna be darby oh absolutely and i don't know if they're gonna do a pool inside there but there is the giant ass pool that the university of miami preposterously has in its student student center outside so there is that too and any any water i don't care how contrived it is bash at the beach someone's got to go with the water absolutely so the other three matches, there was a match actually that was announced as we're recording. Uh, Kong and Mel versus Bakaro Shida and Chris Statt. The uh, trios match we talked about earlier with like MJF and crew versus Nightmare, the Nightmare family. And then Sammy Guevara versus John Moxley. Oh, wow. That is an, that's a, like a match that I feel like they would hold off for a little bit, but they're going to fuck it doing it in well, Coral Gables. So hell yeah. Um, I, th- I think Sammy is like kind of uh... – I, I think they're fine with like Sammy just like being being a little bit of a lost post in, the, in this right. thing. Like they, you know, they kind of understand that like Sammy isn't gonna he isn't gonna be needed to have like a big match with Moxley until like fucking like five years from now. So mm-hmm. like you can you can just burn these things on TV and you're, he's gonna give you like a good like fifteen minute wrestling match. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And he's been great in this role, and he's good as a little chicken shit here. So I'm looking forward to it. I think that'd be cool. I think that's going to be a pretty exciting episode of Dynamite. Uh, any? Do you have any other other than people need to get wet in this show? Is there anything else you're hoping to see in this like last landlocked show before they go on the cruise? Uh, yeah. Uh, like like I said, anything that would pop you is like a Miami miami faithful i think that a one of one of AEW's big strengths is that they they are really willing to go with like local audiences and like emphasize where they are you know playing into like unique venues or like these kind of theme shows like this in a way that like wwe like is trying to 
you know, say that every show like emanates from the same, you know, raw set that is kind of like this omnipresent neutral place. Right. You know, whereas, so yeah, just like any, any, I don't know any enough Miami specific references, but like if, if you pop for it on Twitter really hard, I will be 100% right behind you. That's what I'm looking for. All right. So I'll, and, I'll, I'll say three things that they should have then. Right. Uh, one, they didn't make a reference to uh, Calle and Cafe Versailles, which is <laughs> big, like Cuban diaspora is, is basically based there. So and with Cody being Cuban, like that's not, that's an easy reference for him to make and he will get even more over on me there. Uh, Sebastian, the Ibis, and then, uh, you know, if they make a Kroll Castle reference, I'll be very happy. I don't oh, think. I love, oh, I'm like a big like paranormal reporter, so I love Kroll Castle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Darby should be doing like his big like pre-match videos. They have it needs to be him shot at Kroll Castle the night before. Oh, uh, yeah. Like yeah, be- yeah, just let Darby skateboard all down Kroll Castle. Fuck it. Yeah, that'd be perfect. So that's what's coming up there. Uh, other stuff coming up. They have one match for the crews: Jurassic Express versus Jericho and Proud and Powerful. Austin Gunn signed. Seems like Sadie Gibbs. Is, I saw a tweet where she's talking about like moving her dog to America, so maybe she'll be around more. And then, like you alluded to earlier, they're finally crossing the Rocky Mountains with the show in uh, Salt Lake City and Denver area. But I wanted to get to BT before we go because I also you- made a. I, I saw a tweet from aforementioned uh, Aubrey Edwards that kind of teased that like more shows might be forthcoming to. The West Coast. I don't know if she meant generally or if she was specifically teasing, you know, her hometown of Seattle. But obviously, I am hoping for the former as uh, for the latter, as I would love to see AEW and am too lazy to leave my hometown. Oh, I don't blame you. And Seattle and Seattle has a lot of venues, I feel like, in that like nice area, like sub 10,000. Yeah, you know, especially like maybe like go down to like Tacoma where like the Thunderbirds play right now. Um, okay. It's, it's probably the one of the better places to do it uh, or Kent. Uh, that's probably one of the better ones. I mean, I don't, I don't really know in terms of what you could do in a venue in the real, like kind of downtown transity area, but uh, right. I'm, I'm not like a venue pervert. So I'm not the best person to ask. Yeah. The, the only venue I really know of in the Seattle area, of course, is the key arena. And that's more because of Dota than anything. So no longer the key arena. I believe it does not have a name at the moment and they are tearing down all of it, except for the roof, which they yeah. are keeping in place and building an entire arena around it, which is very funny. Yeah. Just like whole Seattle sports history, like what they're doing with the arena is kind of amusing. It's, it's, it's strange, but, uh, but it will exist in the near future. I, I have seen a wrestling show at the key arena. I saw Daniel Bryan's retirement shows. Okay. The, the last WWE show worth caring about. Yeah. No, like I'm totally on board with you there. As evidenced by the fact that it wasn't even Daniel Bryan's actual retirement show. So it doesn't even mean anything anymore. So fuck that company. Yeah. That's a, that, that's WWE in a nutshell. So uh, before we go, uh, I, from your recommendation, I went and watched this week's BTE, and this might very specifically sold you on BTE by mentioning that it very prominently featured the word "titty." I I just was wondering how they were going to work this in here. Uh, like, fantastically, it's the spot of the show. Yeah, no, absolutely. So this was the Dress Express and Jen Sturger, or her name was Jen Sturger. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Decker. Jen Decker, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have I have brief notes. I can do like oh. a bad version of Nate's uh, BTE recap. Go right ahead. Yeah. So BTE recap. Uh, 
opened up with, uh, I believe this is episode something. It's called, this is for the Juggalos or the Juggalettes, something like that. It's whatever superhumans catchphrase is because he was there. Um, I forget if this guy's canceled or not. Like, uh, I think he was at some point, but also like, he seems like the kind of guy who would be anyway. And like, you can kind of just like tell by looking at him. It's like, oh, he seems like a lot of fun, but it's probably like said something really problematic, but I'm just going to go along and have a good time with him. Yeah. Um, he, he yelled and jumped through a table, did a spot. Uh, Kazarian said, said do ya which uh i just want to mention that they 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 snuck a very like serious and somber line read of do ya into like an episode of dynamite a week or two ago that really popped me um i I never picked up on it so like he's wearing this t-shirt now and i didn't know that but yeah (laughs) he anyway um so that that is another thing just like most of scu that they just kind of i didn't really like at the start but just by repeating it over and over they have drilled into my head and now i Pavlovian react, which is like pretty much how all of pro wrestling works, and the Young Bucks get that better than anyone. Uh, cut to the uh, theme song, then New Year's Day party over at uh, over at the Jacksonville Stadium. Uh, Tony Khan showing off his like gigantic television, just really flaunting that kind of vibe. It's like, oh yeah, Tony Khan's not actually a babyface; he has a billion dollars. I don't want to like him. He throws fancy parties like this. And like I, I, as someone who has like been in grad school before, like I have the experience of like being a person who is out of place at like a party that is like way too fancy for me with people who are much older in status and like just like seeing like Cody felt like really in place at this party. Like right. the young bucks felt like kind of like mm, we can sort of get it. And like seeing like Nyla, like seeing like Nyla Rose at this party is like the right. most incredible fucking thing in the world. She's like, I'm having a great time. What the fuck am I doing here? It, it, it was it was definitely her and like yeah. bryce that i'm like okay yeah bryce god oh what a worker hey i mean went from like running a t-shirt shop to now mm-hmm. partying at like a billionaire fail son's uh like look What's at my toy son? excuse me sorry he's a success son aw is good aw is good like that is fair that yeah. is fair i apologize tony yeah, no, no, like a, fa- a fail son is like, uh, like Dixie Carter is a fail daughter. Oh, yeah, no, D- Dixie's a very specific kind of like Dallas Fort Worth fail daughter. Yeah. Like, like straight to the core. Like, I went to high school with Dixie Carters. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, but like, but AW is good. So, so Tony Khan is officially a success son. Very rare. But, uh, yeah. Good, good, good to see they're still good in the universe out there. Uh, hybrid two over at the Jacksonville, uh, practice facility uh jack evans is insane and cutting a promo at the camera uh they put they uh cut a promo on the jacksonville's place kicker who i do not know the name of because i am like very proud to be like free of the nfl i talk about like that like i'm coming up opium or something because that's kind of what it's like like two years clean um so know nothing about the nfl but he uh, and Helica kicks a kicks like a forty yard field goal. He has said on Twitter that this is his first time kicking one of those silly American balls. So you know, who knows what kind of promo he's in? Uh, Jack Evans yells some insane shit and does a flip, which was of course the best. Uh, Orange Cassidy is here being the holder for some reason, and then he does Orange Cassidy spots on a tackling dummy. You know, always good to have Orange Cassidy on the screen. People, a lot of people pop because Orange Cassidy was on the screen probably. You see, this was like you led me in because you were like what you mentioned on Twitter last night. But this was the thing that stuck with me was Jack Evans just being a complete and utter psychopath person. Mm-hmm. Whenever like they just need to have like Jack Evans. Every just, time he's on TV, like I, I think Jack Evans is like one of the biggest stars in this company. He's, he's like just such a fucking presence and can flip and work and like 
sell like a fucking ragdoll like the best I've ever seen. Jack Evans is, is in, just in all out just stand at crazy person. I'm so glad he's on national television. It it makes me so happy to have him back like like this. Like after like years of him in Mexico and then Lucha Underground like this. Like he's now like back and it's he's not very different from like no. he's uh, been this he's been this exact same guy for like 15 years. It's so good. <laughs> which also he he looks like yes. well he would look like 15 years later. Yeah. Like which is great. Yeah. Like the, the line between like Jack Evans and Marco Stunt is like not large. Oh no, no. It, it basically marco came along like when jack did like he'd be the one that shima goes okay and then like takes him to japan like has like a really weird two years in japan and then ends up in mexico for the next decade and a half people forget about him then he reappears everyone's like oh yeah this is that guy (laughs) uh we god i keep forgetting i'm actually leading the segment (laughs) segment. i'm fucking high uh Jungle Express are lined up to do an interview with Jun Decker. Uh, it's funny because they're all the wrong height. Uh, they're kind of making fun of, you know, WWE's funny height obsessions. So, like, uh, I believe, like, the first shot is, like, all of them are the same height because, like, Marco is standing on an apple box and, like, Luchasaurus is, like, doing the splits. And then, like, they do it even worse. So, like, Marco gets super tall and then... Luchasaurus goes down. I don't remember the exact heights they're all were, but they're they're making fun of the WWE. You get the joke. Mm-hmm. We can move on. Uh, then they then they cut to some 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 more takes of them doing the interview. Uh, Marco is just very obviously being a doofus, trying to get Jen Decker to corpse the entire time. Uh, just actually, like shoot creepily, like flirting with her. Like I, I really hope he got a little bit of consent before doing that in the minute. But also, it was kind of funny. So whatever. <laughs> um, uh, was doing that through all the shots, and then uh, every time Jungle Boy was attempting to get a line in, he kind of was sneaking a peek at uh, her very, like, one-strap dress and kind of mixed up the word title with titty. Um, about, like, two or three different times, Jungle Boy just saying the word titty and just Freudian slipping over and over and everyone just losing it. And, like, he tried to say tit for tat, too, and he made tit that. Tat. Into- tit for tat. That was that was the line he was stripping up. It's like, Hit for that, and then then the uh, then the last segment he was attempting to speak about his bona fide win over Chris Jericho, and of course he instead mentioned his boner. It was it, it it was like worked on a meta level, other than like genuinely like being like okay, we see what you're doing here. And I thought that was like genuinely a pretty amusing part. Like this was like one of the better episodes of BT since I like this, I I going back in. Recapping it does not do it justice. Everyone was very funny here. Jungle Boy is like an incredible baby face. I think it's his gear. And like between like his performance, he gave like three different like great performances this week between Dynamite, Road 2, and BTE. Just week week of Jungle Boy, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, next segment, uh, Leva Bates, librarian. uh, She takes away people's like sinful things like a fucking video game console or a scotch or some sort of treat and replaces them with books uh marco very matter of factly says that he can't read which popped me that was a good line (laughs) (laughs) and then it turns out that leva is of course playing the nintendo switch and eating the sweet treats and drinking the booze for herself just kind of like really settling into this wine mom sort of energy like yeah like okay i don't know where this is going but gotta fill time on bt whatever uh, next segment, uh, Kenny and Riho are backstage speaking Japanese. Uh, 
Kip and Penelope come up. Uh, Kip Sabian is just being a huge asshole, like obviously trying to provoke Kenny into like signing an intergender match between the two of them. And Kenny is like kind of not having it. Kenny is like, yeah, sure, you know, okay, you two are great, sure, whatever. And he's like, can we go now? And then they try to leave, and a very small Riho is blocked by the very mean and blonde Penelope Ford. And Penelope just calls Riho a bitch, and Riho just gets gigantic puppy dog eyes, looks very distraught, like she's about to cry, and just turns, speaks to Kenny, speaks Japanese to Kenny, and is just very, just looks very distraught. Uh, Kenny's trying to calm her down, just please don't bully Riho. It absolutely got Penelope over as a heel to me. Yeah. Just, just Riho. The fact that, like, again, Riho is like has a lot of a nuanced character in which you can kind of like do a lot of like infantilizing her and like having her look super vulnerable in this moment of like, oh no, she's like a tiny four foot ten lady, but like she can also be the person who will just, you know, fucking wipe out Japanese deathmatch legend Dr. Luther and give him a pop in the stomach. So yeah, no. Completely smooth in the middle of a match, too. And keep on trucking. So that that sort of uh, that sort of charisma and vulnerability, but also like fighting spirit, for lack of a better word, uh, and technical skill is like really the total package with Rio. She's great. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's it, it's like one of those things that like with this like Penelope. This was the most like I've ever had an opinion on Penelope Ford was during yeah. this thing. It was during this angle, and I think a lot of it was the fact that she that Riho is this very special and I know I use this word a ton, but singular kind of performer and wrestler and yeah. for all the reasons you gave there. And I thought this was really interesting. Yeah, Riho is like a legitimate ace of their women's division. She's fucking she's special. She's like there's like only like ten people on like Riho's level in terms of like that having that like something in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. To me at least. So like yeah, and and Penelope is like fit like well enough into her role that like oh I want I want I want to see more of this I I want to keep seeing these matches and I, I hope Penelope continues to acquit herself or better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, this was probably like the most legitimate thing on on BTE that like hyped up a hyped up a few that you know isn't really mentioned to anything else but like got me legitimately interested in it. So it's kind of interesting how they're building actual segments on the show. Uh, you know, next thing is, you know, a little bit more of the Adam Page and Private Party uh, interactions with uh, Hangman Page being very drunk and Private Party, you know, who obviously enjoy a little bit of the alcohol themselves, but still are trying to rec- to reconcile with their, like, sort of jerky friends problem drinking. It's, it's again, mm. it's a very relatable millennial storyline, even if they're all doing a very cartoon version of it. Um, I just want to point out one of my favorite recurring bits in the world, which is... Uh, Hangman Page is like very white ass trying to sing and dance to Private Party's theme song and getting it wrong every single time you saw them. Uh, that was even on this episode of Dynamite. Uh, he did it in the middle of the match. Caught me huge. I fucking love every time Hangman Page comes into a segment. Like it's a Private Party. It's so fucking funny every time. It, Hangman Page is like secretly the best like actor of the elite. Yeah, it, it, and I think it's something that him as performer. Yeah. is like dialing into who he is as a person as well because like when like talking to him like doing the press stuff he definitely had a certain kind of charisma that i don't think for any many people like interpersonal charisma that i think comes across on the screen that like really is apparent live so fantastic like fantastic poster too so like that it really comes out there so oh yeah. absolutely yeah 
really high level posters. So yeah, you know, th this segment wasn't much other other than that, but it kept it advancing the storyline. And then our final segment of the show, we see the uh, creepy uh, Dark Order skull mask that has the little uh, Satan cross thing on it, the little sulfur alchemical symbol gimmick. Um, that's you know, it's been one of the creepers that's out there with the Dark Order kind of a special one in all these segments but it's totally gone unremarked on during the actual show but yeah again it's like oh someone these mysterious hands are trying to throw this mask away but the mask keeps coming back and it's the fucking cursed dark order mask you can't leave so it's either a spooky curse or like a spooky cult coming to place the mask bath etc etc but just building up is like who is behind the mask i think the obvious like they're like trying to trick you into Thinking it's Hangman Page, I think that's way too chalk, so it's going to be someone kind of off the main board that I might not guess, but it might just be Hangman Page. Who knows? I hope it's not Hangman Page. I, hope. But... I would hate that, but... Yeah, I don't know where they're going to go with this, because, like, I, I did notice that this was, like, the one person that was, like, on the edge. It's kind of tall, too. Yeah. It, and it, the person's kind of a little bit lanky, but they're also doing the dry fit thing of trying to hide their body size. Yeah. Because... But it's interesting, like... Yeah, like, this is like the first week when I really, when I was really like kind of focusing on the ideas, like, is that Hangman Page? And I come away with like a resounding, like, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that. Like, I kind of feel like an idiot for like not being able to recognize these. But like, then I find out that like everyone in Dragon Gate has, I like actually legit got worked by those for like three, <laughs> that kind of gimmick for like three months. So I don't feel quite as bad anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, I, uh, uh, unlike that, this might actually be a member of Strong Hearts. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, this was a this was a great episode of BTE and definitely got me back into like I have been a little bit relying on Nate's recaps for a while, but especially seeing how things were going, I thought that that was a pretty strong episode as well. BTE, I feel like BTE is good now. I feel yeah. like BTE has like realized it, it always had like a little bit of like that this like weird outsider art potential like right. you could always kind of see in it even when they got long and they've like cleaned it up now to where it's like the best version of that and it's like oh this is like a B plus level good show that like also ties into like AW canon it's it's a pretty easy watch for me every week it's an anticipated watch for me every week yeah yeah even if it's not like the fucking main course that I'm looking to dig into and, and it's something that like is. Like when they release it on Mondays, it's a good way yeah. to kind of to like ramp yourself up because you have that, then dark, yeah. and then dynamite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This like weird, like semi canon, like, hey, AEW's here, remember? Mm -hmm. No, totally. Yeah. yeah. So we went. I appreciate you coming aboard. I did not realize we've gone two hours, but this has been an absolute <laughs> blast, Kara. Uh, I think. Hey, but this was. I feel like we covered the show. Like, we got angry at the right things, but like, we were reasonable about what was. I would all say is the worst episode of Dynamite and the worst show on AEW history. So I feel like there was one other really bad show that I like don't think this one was like appreciably worse than, but I cannot recall which one that was. So that's it, it was a uh, interesting night. It, it was, was like, yeah, the, the lows on this show were like inexcusable, like e even to me who tries to be an optimist about this sort of things. But I, I think the highs on the show existed. So absolutely. So before we get out of here, Kara. Anything in particular you want to plug? No, oh, I have like a shoot job. I don't need to plug anything anymore. <laughs> like why? It's like why I stopped trying very hard to like wheel myself into coming into Patreon. Like I, I still want to do it. I'm just like not trying to like look for an outside source of income anymore. But I'm, I'm happy to fill in bullshit about wrestling with my friends for a while and have people listen to it for some reason. Yeah. Well, it was an absolute blast having sure. you. 
on follow Kara at Kara Onza. Uh, we're about to get ready for a basho, so yeah, you don't have. To. Oh yeah, yeah, big big time sumo talk. You know, shout shout outs to uh, shout outs to Enho. You think uh, you think Takiyasu can rise rise back up from Sakiwake? I'm I'm really hoping for him, but I think he might be. I think his shoulder might be out. I I think he shot. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be a weird year because it's the, uh, the big thing is how long could Hakuho stay about. Uh, Hakuho has like already said he might he might retire and like people are kind of like reporting that as fact. I don't know if that's quite true to report it as fact, but, mm. but Hakuho has like gone on record more or less in saying like yeah, twenty twenty is what matters to me, the Olympics, so on and so on. So yeah. Anyway, we can do a we can do sumo chat. Let's get that on the Patreon. If any, if if you want sumo chat, uh, me and Mike Spears on the Patreon and maybe uh, get Nate on there to just kind of laugh at how when we talk funny stories to him. Yeah. Uh, leave, leave a comment, five star review, sumo chat absolutely but that's gonna do it so for kara i'm mike and we'll catch you next time peace